0: Welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast at Ryerson University. I'm Curtis Maloli.
1: And I'm Chelsea Jones, and today we are coming at you a little bit differently than usual. We're not in our normal studio space. We are recording on Zoom, but we are still in Toronto, in the Dish with One Spoon territory, also on Treaty 13 territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation.
0: And it has been a while since we've had a chance to do this. Chelsea, you have been pretty busy over the past year.
1: I can't believe it's been a year since we talked like this. I can't believe it's been a year since our last episode. But yeah, I have been busy. Um, I did a postdoc. In Saskatchewan and then I had a research stint at the University of Guelph and now I have a new position at Brock and so I've been sort of moving around the country doing lots of things and I'm glad to be back.
0: Yeah, not yeah. just any new position, you uh, have a tenure-track position as Assistant Professor of uh, Child and Youth Studies at Brock University, so congratulations. Yeah, thank That's you. Awesome. Because I did my master's there, it was, it's such a fantastic school.
1: Yeah, well you know it's funny because I mean it's like a whole new world out there, right? And everything is happening via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or some other online sort of platform. And so for the interview and everything, it was all online and I didn't get to visit the campus. And so as soon as I told you that I got a job at Brock and then you told me how great Brock was, I was so happy to hear it because um, like, I've, I've never really been there. So it was good to hear from you <laughs> what, <laughs> about what it's actually block. like on campus. Oh, God. Yeah, what it's like beyond Zoom. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm thrilled for you. Really, that's really terrific news.
1: Well, and you have some news too because things have been changing on your end quite a bit. This used to be the Learning and Teaching Office podcast and that space has changed quite a bit in the last year, yeah?
0: There has been a lot of changes. We are now uh, a small part of a much bigger uh, Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Ryerson. So, uh, you know, the awesome. the Provost kind of uh, reorganized uh, our units. We're now in, in one space or uh, we were in one space before. Yeah. Uh, before COVID. So um, we're, we're working now with uh, e-learning and curriculum quality assurance, uh, academic integrity, the digital media projects unit, uh, experiential learning as part of the center. So it's a really dynamic space with a lot of, lot of different uh, units working together to support teaching on campus. And I'm glad we get to bring this podcast back.
1: Yeah, totally. And I also wanted to mention, um, you know, I know in the last couple months with The pandemic and with things changing in terms of teaching and learning and having to shift online and sometimes quite urgently quite quickly. I wanted to thank you and the people at the center, including Michelle Schwartz, who's here on this recording. Hi, Michelle, you can say hi if you want to.
2: Hello everyone I
1: apologize there's jackhammering in the background of my call and no matter where I go in my apartment it it's here so I'll just keep my my sound on mute but I'm here. Okay well Michelle is here and she did a ton of research background research for this episode but also you know you and Michelle and other people at the center have been working really really hard to help people move their pedagogy online which is sometimes not easy so you know thanks thanks for all of that because it's really important.
0: It's been it has been quite a spring to say the least, but it's been great to have such a big team. We also have um, Sally Goldberg Powell with us today helping us to produce this, who is an instructional technologist at the center. Um, You want to say hi, Sally? Hello. Hello.
1: (laughs) How are you both doing? It has been an interesting ride. Yeah, I just joined the team uh, right before the semester started last uh, last fall. So uh, definitely started as one thing and has changed into something completely different, but it's been wonderful to get to know uh, people across campus and to help them out with this whole transition.
0: Well, thanks so much for helping us with this. We are, as, as Chelsea said at the start, we're, we used to do this in, uh, in a production studio at uh, Radio and Television Arts, the Allen Slate Studio. We are now doing it on Zoom and, and we're grateful for your, your help in, in getting this going. Um, so today we're doing uh, a, a, a podcast about podcasting, very meta. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the reasons for this is we're, we're trying to be thinking a bit about the different uh, ways that we can both deliver content in a remote environment, but also, um, you know, there's been a long practice and Chelsea, I know you and your own teaching have explored podcasts for a really long time. And there's been, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a process for the last, you know, gosh, I don't know how long we've been doing this 10 years, five years.
1: Yeah, I've been doing podcasting since since around 2011 um, yeah. when I had a group of students in a writing course and based upon feedback from those students it became really clear that they wanted to use class time for writing and they wanted the lectures to be outside of class somehow and so I started making podcasts and I have a background in journalism so I, I sort of figured that that would be feasible and it was and since then I've been doing podcasting low tech and, and higher tech for a long time and i think it's such a really interesting way to teach via podcast and i'm really excited that we can talk about it today with three podcasters who are also teachers
0: that's right yeah no we have we have uh, an amazing kind of panel so we're going to try a, a bigger uh, a bigger session today as we do this this zoom call um, but we have three guests who have been using podcasts, uh, both as assessments uh, where students were submitting work and using podcasts as a way to articulate their knowledge and their learning, um, but also as content delivery. So we've got uh, three terrific guests with us today. First, uh, from the School of Creative Industries, Lorena Escandon is an assistant professor uh, and teaches courses related to creativity, innovation, trend watching uh, in media. And so uh, has quite a bit of experience with podcasts and we're thrilled to have Lorena on the show today. We also have Wendy Garcia, who is a nursing instructor in Ryerson's collaborative nursing program. Uh, Also, a a registered nurse working in the trauma, neurology, and neurosurgical unit at SickKids. And, you know, we wanted to approach this from all kinds of different angles. We're really fortunate also to have Angela Glover with us uh, today. Uh, Who is a news media production specialist with the School of Journalism? uh, Has tons of experience with podcasting. Has been supporting students with the with the technical side of news production, uh, both audio and radio, for uh, for the last 25 years at Ryerson. So, uh, tons of experience, and I'm excited to have a great discussion today. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having
1: us. Oh, it's like a Zoom chorus. I like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got to get our rhythm on Zoom.
1: I know, I know. Well, I want to start one by one panel style. Um, I want to start with Lorena and ask when and why did you start podcasting? What brought podcasting into your classroom?
2: Thank you. That's a good question because it started by um, exploring alternatives in Universal design for learning, and I wanted to be more inclusive in my classroom and to provide students opportunities to express knowledge in different ways. So, I started by asking students or giving them the option you can do an essay or you can do a podcast or a video essay. So, it started as a way for them to explore their creativity, to explore different ways of expression and creative expression, and it got really good responses. So, I, I enjoyed. Listening to their creativity, they included music, sounds. Uh, they interviewed people. They did games with their podcasts, and to me, as a professor, it kind of like opened my eyes to like, oh, this is a very different medium for them. They are, they're exploiting the medium, right? You know, they're they're really taking advantage of the the opportunities that they can include other people or, you know, clips from TV shows and things like that. So it was very interesting to to me to see how, by opening up the, the formats for assignments, we could have a richer experience and we can allow students to be more creative. So
0: that's how we got started. And I imagine that's really important for your discipline, right? As you, I mean, you're teaching in creative industries, so it's important to have students kind of modeling a lot of the things that you're teaching them?
2: yeah that's right and it's also a good way for us to make more independent learners because we don't teach them in creative industries like this is how you make a podcast it's not one of our courses they can take an elective in rta if they want to but it's not part of our curriculum and so what that means is that they have to go out and see how do i record a podcast how do i edit it Uh, where do i post it on the internet like this these are all questions that they had to figure out on their own so i think it's it has two sides of learning, right? You have to learn how to use a platform, you have to learn how to edit, and you have to figure that all on your own. And then you also have the course content that you have to reflect on course content and design it in a way that's also engaging for the listener. So those were the things that I think are piquing the student's creativity and they're helping them engage more both with the course content and with new technologies that could be a little bit daunting for them at the beginning, but then at the end, they enjoy the opportunity to be challenged in a creative way.
1: And Wendy, how about for you? Um, When did you get started with podcasting in your classroom and, and why did you choose that route?
3: Um, I'm really the newbie here to podcasting. Um, My first knowledge of podcasting came from my own adult university students. And one of my daughters mentioning that she uh, listens to a podcast and like, what's a podcast? Didn't really know anything about it. And that was probably about a year and a half ago. That led me into looking at what kinds of podcasts are out there. And then it led me into the literature. And there was actually a body of literature in um, nursing education about the use some podcasts as early as back in 2003 and 2004. And I thought, wow, this has been around and I didn't know that much about it. So I sort of got um, interested in it to help students. I often, you know, talk to students in the classroom about, you know, you're here, you're in the class, you're in the lab, you're learning information. But review is very important, not just before the exam And, and taking, you know, 15, 20 minutes to review information. But we know our students are very busy in their lives and that opportunity for review is often something that they don't necessarily put importance to. So I came up with this idea of a three-minute review. Um, I kept it to three minutes. I thought it was something that could be done very quickly for students to hit the key points of what the lecture was on information that I had provided to them. And we have commuting students um, thought they could listen to it on their phone, they could listen to it on their, you know, whatever device they had So it was trying to get them to value reviewing information. I also feel we have a lot of students um, that are English as second language. And sometimes when we're teaching in the classroom and we talk very quickly and rapidly, especially with a lot of medical terminology, students that maybe don't have English as their first language, they'd often come up and say, how do you say that word again? Or how do you? And so it gave them opportunity to hear information a second time, which for ESL students was very, very beneficial.
0: Yeah, Wendy, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, in nursing education in particular, it's, it's notoriously content heavy. There's so much, um, you know, I've seen some of the textbooks, they're massive. Uh, I'm wondering when you're, when you're thinking about how you boil down uh, a week's content into three sort of key points that work well in a podcast, what was, what was your process for doing that?
3: Um, So my process was really to think about, you know, looking at the PowerPoints that I'd already used, and what did I see as the most important information that I wanted them to hear again. I think as teachers, we often repeat information in class, um, but this gave me an opportunity to highlight, and I said to them, I said initially, I said, these are for your review, it's optional whether you use them or not, it's not necessarily content that will be on your exam, because of course, they're always like, is this going to be on the exam? And I said, these are key points that are going to be important to your professional practice to keep in mind. Um, So I really just sort of from my own personal experience, what I knew and thought was, I hope they didn't miss this in the lecture. And if they did, then this gives them an opportunity to maybe think about it again and, and reprocess what they understood about it. And Angela, how about you? Um, Why did you decide to bring
4: podcasting into your work? Well, podcasting kind of became my work. (laughs) Um, Radio was obviously... Primarily, what I um, what I taught, and uh, as podcasting started to become more and more part of um, the journalism industry, the news industry, we started incorporating it more and more into classwork, um, and then eventually podcast classes themselves, as well as you know the Ryersonian has a podcast, the Ryerson Review of Journalism has a podcast, the online classes produce podcasts. It's the, you know the ultimate mobile medium, but using it to actually provide course content really didn't occur to me until the pandemic until we were starting to work from home in March and video tutorials we use a lot because everything we do is technical Um, but uh, everyone was so sick of looking at videos you know the zoom fatigue the I saw something on twitter yesterday that says some places are doing zoom free Fridays because they've had so much zoom they can't take it anymore
0: that's a great Um, idea yeah
4: Yeah. so (laughs) it really is as we record this on a Friday Um, (laughs) but it's um podcasting lends itself really well to certain types of course content so if you're doing a guest speaker or a panel um, and you you get more kind of nuanced emotional reaction I find out of audio storytelling because really we've been telling audio stories long before humans could write you hear the emotion in the voice you hear engagement it's generally more relaxed and kind of more conversational Um, off, you know, kind of off the cuff sort of thing. So if you're taking complex topics like someone's research, but you have the person that wrote it explain it in layman's terms, it's way more engaging than having a dry document in front of you that a student has to read.
0: And I have heard uh, from several professors in um, both journalism and RTA that there's been a lot of discussion about even uh, professors kind of helping each other with course delivery, where they might do like conversations in a podcast format, um, in addition to maybe interviewing guests or experts in their field. Are you hearing the same kind of thing when in your work?
4: I am. Yeah. People are so great about helping each other out, pitching in people that, you know, have skills in other areas that can help people that don't. I think we'll find as like prep for the new school year gets, you know, closer and closer to September. um, I think there's going to be a lot of really innovative ways of conveying information and a lot of, um, you know, asynchronous kind of things we can provide students with that they can learn at their own pace listen while they're going for a walk or doing laundry and they don't have to worry about being on screen. I really like that. And I like the way that podcasts are very invitational to students. A lot of the time, um,
1: your examples of students, you know, going for a walk reminds me of when I started podcasting. And one student said to me that she would listen to podcasts while she was doing the dishes. And it just gave her a chance to sort of absorb the material in a different way. And I think. I think you're right that as we move into sort of the next year, where many of us might be online in different ways, that people are going to be looking for new ways to deliver material, new ways to be in partnership and in collaboration with students. And so I'm wondering if each of you could speak to sort of the nitty gritty of what it means to make a podcast. your classes and what's actually involved. Angela I hear you talking about interviewing other people and Wendy I hear you talking about really um, condensing high-level concepts and putting them into these three-minute reviews so I wonder if you could just tell us you know what, what goes into making this work and if there's people listening right now who are thinking i want to make a podcast but i don't know how how do you do it and how can others do it i wonder lorena if we could start with you
2: yeah for sure uh so right now i'm recording my podcast on zoom and the reason i'm doing this is because i get the transcript and the subtitles so i am actually going to use all of these elements to make it uh, more accessible to different kinds of students. I, I have students who prefer reading. I have students who prefer um, having the audio, but also reading along. So I'm using Zoom to record it, and then I'm posting it directly on the d 12 platform. So it, I'm not doing this as an open to everybody, uh, which I think, uh, Wendy, you had a different experience of where you actually made the podcast public. So we I think we want to hear about that too but in my case yesterday i had the first one where i interviewed another professor so i've had these experiences where we are collaborating within the faculty to complement our knowledge so i know i interviewed james nadler who is a professor in rta and uh, how he uses research for television so it was really interesting and i thought it was very engaging and i'm hoping that that this will be an interesting uh, podcast for students. And I'm just trying to to capitalize on the students' interest in television as an industry to make a a topic like research more palatable and interesting for them, right? So I was trying to to come up with just a conversation that kind of showcased, oh, yeah, this is how you use research in the industry. And this is real. Like you are going to need to do research in the industry wherever you go. The the steps that I take is thinking about what are the key points, the talking points that I want to make during the session. And I always make sure at the end to summarize what was talked about, to wrap up the session and say like, this is what we learned today in this podcast. But again, I, I feel like accessibility is really important to me. So I use a platform that would allow me to get the, the transcript right away. Otherwise, I would have to figure out who can do the transcript, and how can we make this information open to our students.
0: That's, yeah, I mean, Zoom's really good that way. It produces that automatically for you. You know, that makes a lot of sense in terms of access. I I also love, you know, when we think about how, um, you know, typically our students would, go to different classes and it's really up to them to make the links between their different classes, right? So you're, you know, you're going through a first year of a curriculum and um, you know, there's maybe not always, or it's not always as evident to students what the kind of purposeful connections between curriculum are. Um, and yet, you know, by inviting in James or other colleagues that are teaching you know, similar kinds of courses or slightly different courses within a, a curriculum, I imagine it really opens up that opportunity to make purposeful connections across uh, what you're teaching. Yeah, exactly. That sounds very cool. Wendy, is that true for you in in nursing
3: yeah well it's certainly um, what was interesting when I first started I mean I've learned a lot about podcasting now since I've actually done my first podcast I realized the importance about scripting and when I first did it I did it on I was lucky I used a voice memo on my phone because it was easy and quick and I didn't script out what I was gonna say because I kept it to three minutes and I knew the content of my course really well so I could easily present information to students um, what I've learned is, and understanding the universal design principles, that having that script and doing it by Zoom, to me now I'm moving forward doing future podcasts, that's what I would probably choose to use because of the fact that it could be scripted. Um, as a result of producing, I so our nursing program is collaborative across three sites, Centennial College, George Brown College, and Ryerson. So as a result, we have teachers at three different sites teaching the same information in the health assessment course. And so those podcasts were something that I could share with my teaching colleagues, that they could use and post to their students, so that all students had opportunity, but nobody was expected to use it, it was totally up to the student if they actually wanted to use it. Now, moving forward, as we've gone into COVID-19 and things going online, some of these recordings from the health assessment course that is used by year one students, students Students moving into year two need to come back to this information again. So now these podcasts are being shared with the year two teaching team. Again, as a way of sharing information and reminding students of resources that are available for content that they previously learned in year one, that they now have to come back to in year two. Uh, So, and and I think um, the health assessment course I teach, the information that I'm teaching doesn't, it's about physical assessment, uh, the techniques of physical assessment, they're not changing. So this is something really in nursing that anybody could, Um, If it was shared in an open access way, anybody in teaching nursing or in even another healthcare discipline could probably utilize if they wanted to. So it has the potential to be shared in many, many different ways in my respect. Thanks,
1: Wendy. I just wanted to sort of add to that. I mean, um, for myself, having moved across a few different institutions in the last couple of years, You know, we're talking a lot about Zoom. Someone mentioned D2L, which is Ryerson's uh, learning management system. And in the past little while, I've had to move through a lot of different systems and a lot of institutions that use different technology. And one really glorious thing that I have found about podcasting Is that you can also do it kind of outside of those institutional systems so you can use your phone or a voice recorder to say what you need to say or do the interview you need to do and then you can use an open source software something like audacity to edit and then you can bring those podcasts with you where you need them which i have found really sort of liberating about the medium angela how about you how do you make your
4: podcasts well, in in the time before COVID, as it will come to be known, <laughs> um, I used to go into, you know, a professional sound booth the, the Allen Slade Institute uh, in the RCC and produce my podcast there. Obviously, we had to shift everything online. So I have a snowball mic, a laptop. I use Adobe Audition, um, but I do have um, tutorials for students on Audacity as well because it's free. Uh, there is another great app that is both available on a browser and now on your phone as well called Headliner. And it was created by Spotify specifically to do podcasting. Um, and I know some of my students were using it and also CBC had some of the reporters using it. Um, so if they had to do, interview several people, um, they could actually do it over Headliner. I think it was up to five people kind of like zoom same idea The headliner will actually produce the podcast for you it saves your audio files you can do a little bit of editing and it produces the audio file at the end and you can share it to social media if you really want to um all from within the one app which is great but yeah audition is typically what i use but even your phone in most instances you can use um if you download a really good free audio recording app there's quite a few you can use for that as well Usually there's no limit to how long you record on them um, those are great. So there's, there's lots of great and easy ways of, of kind of organizing that, but organizing yourself before you start the podcast is really crucial.
1: Angela, do you post your podcast on social media? I mean, I feel like we've sort of been talking about podcasts as something contained to a class. Are you, are you going public
4: with your podcasts? Mine? No, but the students do part of the radio documentary class and when they produce their podcast at the end they actually have to share the audio files on social media which amazingly enough is not as straightforward as you think video files video clips share really easily on social audio doesn't so the headliner app actually creates like a little video file with your audio essentially
0: for posting on social media
4: so if someone wanted to do that you could and it would post to youtube
0: I love this idea of the students actually posting their podcast publicly you know when we think about um, what happens in our courses and how a student you know you know often may feel in some instances like they are they're doing assignments, they're getting a grade, and then they're done with it. Um, you know, it must change the stakes when a student realizes that there's, you know, there's a, a larger accountability, but also that their ideas and their perspectives and their thoughts um, are going to, you know, be part of a larger public discourse. Um, I, I, I wonder if any of you have, have uh, thoughts about that. Angela, that seems in your case like it, it's uh, maybe really important to the curriculum in journalism.
4: Well, it is. They're, they're going to be jur- practicing journalists. They have to understand that everything they're doing is held to a very high ethical standard. So obviously it matters what they're putting out into the world.
0: Yeah, Lorena, is, is that something you've considered in, in your practice?
4: Yeah, I've considered it. Um, and
2: you're right. When students realize this is something that could be part of their portfolio, um, it, they take it more seriously. I think that they take it seriously enough when it's just a class assignment. But I think it's it Kind of raises the bar to what they want to as you said you said put out there i don't know if it's of general interest but i think that at least in the where we are there would be an audience for what what our students are producing because we we're producing uh things that are related to entrepreneurship in the creative industries and i've i actually had a really good experience with a team that created a whole series of uh, podcasts for their final assignment and it was So well done. It was really professionally made. And I hope that the students consider actually making it public because I feel like lots of uh, young entrepreneurs would benefit from listening to the content. So I'm mostly concerned about their privacy and some of them feel a little bit shy, but I think it's also the responsibility of the instructor to empower our students and to really give them feedback um, of you know, what they could be doing better next time, but also praising the things that are well done and hoping that they they actually feel that they, they deserve to have this um, out so that the public can know what they're capable of. And also, you know, why not? It's good promotion for Ryerson, right? Like we were doing good things and the students are producing good content. So hopefully they will consider having it on the internet.
0: I love that. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, Wendy, you were talking about delivering content using podcasts, um, you know, uh, reflection is such an important part of curriculum in, in nursing, um, you know, do you, do you see the podcast as a, as a good way to, to do assessment in a nursing situation as well? I mean, I'm thinking going into, the, into a, a remote learning semester.
3: Oh, that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, I haven't, again, I haven't branched into that using it from an assessment point of view. In nursing, certainly we uh, talk about that reflective piece of your own practice. And certainly rather than a written reflective assignment, a podcast could be utilized um, as a way of doing that assignment. If you might have an opportunity to give students ability to write a reflection you could give choice i think to students by offering them do you want to write a reflection or do you want to submit a podcast and for some students they might find the podcasting is they feel more comfortable with versus the writing so yes i could see it used as an evaluative method and depending on the topic it it could be absolutely i haven't gone that direction yet with it but now that i've tipped my toes into podcasting. I'm more and more interested in how it can be used in a number of different ways from an evaluative point of view.
1: So you know we're making these podcasts with our students in mind and sometimes based on uh, their feedback and the things they have to be learning but what have you actually heard from students about how the podcasts are going? What do students say to you about your podcasts? Um, Angela maybe I'll start with you.
4: The one thing I I guess I can speak to, students when they come into the podcasting course uh, for the first time, a lot of them have never done much work with audio, and I'm always amazed at how much they love it. They love painting pictures with sound, they love storytelling, they love not having to worry about pictures or how people look on camera or how it's framed. They can just worry about voice and sound and how all of those things play together to tell a story, and it's wonderful to see. There was a really interesting fad I came across that said, people spend like 16.7 seconds on a Facebook video, but they listen to 80% of a podcast they start. Like that's powerful.
3: And it's really interesting.
4: And delivering student content, getting them to pay attention through an entire video tutorial or Zoom session can be kind of daunting. You lose them. So that 80% is huge. I wonder what percentage people will listen to this podcast.
0: 100, Chelsea, 100. (laughs)
1: Um, Lorena, how about you? I mean, you were mentioning earlier um, that part of the purpose behind your podcast has to do with universal design for learning and access. And do you get any response from students around the topic of
2: access and podcasting? As Angela said, they love it. They really, um, they appreciate when professors make an effort to be more inclusive. Uh, they appreciate having different medium that they can interact with and not just like, oh, you have to read this book. But whenever I have assigned as readings, oh, can you watch this YouTube video with Alexa Chung talking about the fashion, the business of fashion? They love it. If I assign a podcast, um, they they really love the fact that we're thinking about um, things that will get their attention, that relate to course content and that they can enjoy. It's not... It's um, I feel like they they may have bad experiences when they say, oh, you have to read three 30 page articles in a week. But if you say, well, it's one article, one podcast and one YouTube video, they appreciate that we're making an effort to diversify and to reach them in their language and their areas of interest. So the, the positive feedback that I've gotten for even the assignment is that they love having the alternative. So again, it's, I don't make it uh, mandatory. I make this uh, as in another option. You can, make, uh, you can make an essay or you can make a podcast and not all of the students choose podcasts, but the ones that do really enjoy having the, the freedom and the creative outlet for their creativity. So yeah, it's, it's been a positive experience. And, and Wendy,
3: I, yeah, yeah, go ahead, chime in, Wendy. I was—I was just going to jump in. um So I started and had done the first few podcasts. I was sort of producing them on a weekly basis, and then um, what was really fabulous was there was um, a master's student who was working um, with one of our full-time faculty. So she, as part of her learning, became involved in producing the podcasts uh, for our curriculum. So I did the first few and then she carried on and scripted them out and did them. And then part of her, course that she was doing she did a survey of the students in our course um, to determine how many were actually using the podcast and what we had was upwards of 70% of students accessing using it they found it convenient they found it quick and easy they knew it was something that they could come back to any time they wanted whether they were you know reviewing prior to exams what was really interesting to me was there was one week where I was a bit delayed in getting the podcast out to And I was getting email messages saying, "Are you doing a podcast?" You're a hit. It was like, "Yes, guys, give me a minute." I said, "I'll get it to you." So they they like to they like to know when it was coming out to them, and and I typically did them after my class and my lecture. And I always encouraged them. I said, "If you can go back to that content." a few days after you've sat in the classroom, then there's that opportunity. I said, it's three minutes of your time. It gives you a quick review. Um, but it was interesting. They were looking for it before I'd even have it produced. The uptake of it by the students was fascinating to me that they were really keen to have that available to them.
0: That's so wonderful. That is a great story to hear. I mean, you know, at Chelsea, you said you've been doing podcasts also really for almost 10 years. Um, yeah. I imagine you've had quite a bit of feedback. Does it echo a lot of what we're hearing here? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. I mean, I've had um like sort of a mixed bag of feedback because some of it's formal, right, on teaching evaluations and I check in with my students at mid-semester and end of semester and I ask them what they liked and what they want more of. And in every class, it's always podcasts. They like it because it's more accessible than your traditional lecture, because um, you know, through Zoom or through a transcription service, you can offer a transcript so that people can read instead of listen if that's what they like to do. Um, And also if you have students who are deaf, um, you can make a vlog and have an ASL interpreter uh, translate the podcast in a video. So that's another thing you can do to make it accessible if that's available to you. But a lot of the feedback I've received is also more informal. Like I'll tell you a little story. I was once walking in the Eaton Center, which for listeners who don't know, is a really big mall near Ryerson University. And I was talking to someone, and then from behind, I heard someone say my name. And she said, Chelsea, is that you? I looked and there was this young woman who I'd never seen before. I had no idea who she was. And she said, I'm your student. I'm in your class. And I recognize your voice from your weekly podcast. And I said, oh, you know, okay, great. So that was kind of a cool way to meet my students. And then she goes, sometimes I hear your voice in my dreams. (laughs) And and, and so I just thought that was really weird and really funny. And so students have all sorts of responses. But I will say one thing about podcasting, we've been talking about it as this sort of mobile medium that has a lot of perks, especially in this age of online teaching. And I think it is all of those things, but it has drawbacks too. Um, I consider, for instance, like sometimes depending on my teaching schedule, I'll make a podcast a few weeks in advance um to sort of set some sort of asynchronous learning module and then what will happen is that there'll be something that goes on in the news or some sort of current event or something that we should be talking about that week sort of live and face to face but instead the curriculum is calling for a podcast and so i've heard that from students too that podcasts can have a way of sort of detracting from what's going on in the world or from being current and and that's probably just a matter of planning your podcast that's some of the
0: feedback i've received yeah really interesting i guess if you're if you're too heavily reliant on it or it's too big of a part of the curriculum it could make things a bit less dynamic yeah i think so so you know we're kind of running out of time here so let's let's um you know i've heard from a couple of you already that that scripting is really important to a successful uh podcast which is really funny because chelsea and i wrestle over uh, I, I'm not a scripter <laughs> yeah see Curtis scripting is really important. it's true you've been right all along um, <laughs> but I'm wondering if you could give just as a kind of summary here one piece of advice uh, to listeners other than scripting uh, about what you feel makes a successful either assessment or uh, content delivery but something you've learned that you'd like to share with our listeners about uh, doing a good podcast what would it be I'll let whoever wants to jump in first there.
3: I'll I'll go first. Um, I think not to be afraid of trying it out. I know I didn't script because I knew the content well. Uh, the master student who produced some of the podcasts, she was very um, new to the content, so she needed to script. And so there's pros and cons, I think, to both of that. I think my master student was concerned about her voice and how it came across. Um, and I said, you sound absolutely lovely. <laughs> um, so I, I think there's a lot of worries when you first start doing podcasts about how you sound. But if you, I think you flow into naturally speaking in a way that's yourself that you will become more comfortable in producing a podcast so I found it quite easy once I got started and I didn't find I needed a script I think the script is beneficial to the students for sure so that's what I've learned
0: love it Lorena how about you
2: Um, I would just say, I think what Chelsea did just now by saying, oh, the Eaton Center and describe what that is for uh, listeners who don't know what that is. I think that's a great idea. And it's something that you have to get used to, because if you're in a classroom, you have the slide, you know what people are looking at. uh, But if you're doing a podcast and you have to be a little more mindful of the details that, you know, people may not know an acronym or, you know, if you're describing something to, to just expand. Um, And it's a great opportunity as well, because if you, if you write an article and the students read it, there's no emotion, there's no tone. I think that using podcasts can allow you to be more expressive and to give this emotion to the material that you're teaching. So yeah, just, I think just being mindful of what we're saying and what we're trying to convey in the message.
0: That's such great advice. You know, really being descriptive in an audio environment. That's that's really great. Thanks, Lorena. Um, Angela, you've been doing this a long time and even working in courses on podcasting itself. What's your one big tip?
4: I'm a planner <laughs> by nature. Um, so I have to, I, I write it out. Um, you know, what do I want this podcast to achieve? How often am I going to offer it? Kind of have a focus for it. Always script your intro and your outro. Um, I find they're a lot more seamless that way. Otherwise, if you do it off the cuff, you're going to forget something. And if you're trying to introduce someone, have a script for that. But other than that, I go with point form notes. Well, at least with students over the years, I found if I give them a script or they've written a script, they sound like they're reading. They don't sound natural, which is the whole point of a podcast. You want it to sound natural and conversational. So point form notes, I find kind of loosen them up a little bit because they talk more. The biggest thing I find they do is they go too fast. When they first start out, so kind of practicing remembering to breathe, slowing down to the point where you think you're probably going a little slow is probably just perfect because then you're at a pace that people can really take
0: in what you're trying to say. I'm envious of your um, your speed. I can tell. I, I I have a tendency to speed up, and you've got you. I can already tell you've got that down. As years of practice. <laughs> I speak fast naturally. Yeah. This is why people dream of Chelsea's voice because she's really good at that. Also.
1: No, well, you know, just to clarify, I don't think the dream was a compliment. I think, <laughs> I think it was more <laughs> like it haunted her dreams or something. But I'm glad. I'm glad we're sort of ending on that uh, note about scripting. Um, that's that's great. Thank you, Wendy, Lorena, and Angela, for giving us an inside look into your podcast processes, um, especially at this time when everyone is trying to figure out how to teach online in, in the best ways that they can. Um, this is really
2: useful information, so thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation.
0: We also want to thank uh, Michelle Schwartz, uh, Educational Developer at the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching for organizing this group of, uh, of speakers. Uh, this came out of a, another project that uh, Michelle's been doing quite a bit of work on. And, and we are on Twitter. You can reach out to us by Twitter at RyersonTeaching uh, or personally. Chelsea, what's your Twitter handle? I don't remember Curtis. (laughs) (laughs) We were so seamless right till there. Uh,
1: I can edit that if you guys want to try again. (laughs)
0: That was
1: Oh, we need a lot of help. That was not
0: scripted. See, that was the problem.
1: (laughs) But also I really enjoy just the general funniness of Chelsea not remembering. I do too. I do too. (laughs) Angela's in the chat and she's like always script your outro,
0: Curtis. Actually, we did script our outro, I just didn't go by it, so yeah. I did my lesson.
1: <laughs> yeah, also stick to the script, Curtis.
0: Okay, I will, um, I will. why don't I start back with, uh, I'll start right up at Michelle. We also want to uh, thank Michelle Schwartz, Educational Developer at the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching, who brought us all together today. Thanks, Michelle, for all your work.
1: And thanks to Sally Goldberg-Powell, an Instructional Technologist at the Center, who's helping us on the tech end of things.
0: Now Sally is our resident expert in in, uh, all of these technologies And, and if you're listening and need support in this area as well Sally is a great person at the center to reach out to. Um, This podcast is funded by the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Ryerson. Uh, You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and uh, reach out to us by Twitter. Um, We have our own personal handles, but probably the best way to do it is to go to uh, at Ryerson Teaching uh, and uh, let us know what your plans are for podcasts and uh, what questions you may have or thoughts you may have about what it looks like uh, for the fall. Thanks for listening today.
1: Bye for now.